Shalom, my name is Abigail Rock. I live in Beit Shemesh, and I look forward to studying with you perhaps one of the most exciting stories in Chumash, if not in the entire Tanakh, the story of Yosef and his brothers. This story was a source of inspiration for artists, for poets, one of the greatest pieces of literature by the t- famous author Thomas Mann, or an over 1,000 page novel was written on the story of Yosef and his brothers. Our story really does not begin here. The story, the roots of the story begins already in Parashat Toledot, but uh, we're not going to go all the way back there right now. We're just going to go to the immediate roots of the story in Parashat Vaishlach. The very end of Parashat Vaishlach, chapter 36, gives us a list of the dynasty of Esav once he relocates to Edom. It begins with the verse, Ve'elet Toledot Esav Hu Edom. These are the descendants of Esav, which is Edom, and it goes through several several verses, a list of over 40 verses, describing Esav's descendants oh, this these this list of descendants spans over several hundred years until starting from Esav until the time period where Am Yisrael enter Eretz Yisrael Ad Meloch Melech Yisrael right after that be, opens our story and our story is going to be parallel to the story of Esav we followed we tracked down Esav and his family until the time period of the entrance by Am Yisrael to and now we're going to track Yaakov and his family in the same time frame from the time period of Yaakov, which is going to go all the way till Am Yisrael enter Eretz Yisrael. To Esav, we devote one chapter because the Tanakh is less interested in the development of Esav and his family. Whereas to Yaakov, we're going to devote much more than one chapter, we're going to devote perhaps at least four and a half books, half of these, or four and a third book, with the third of Sefer Bereshit, all through the end of Sefer Devarim and Sefer Yeshayahu, and Sefer Yoshua. This time frame of all those books, start beginning from Parashat Ve'yashev until the entrance to the land, describing the descendants of Am Yisrael, is parallel in time to that one chapter of Esav. So let's begin chapter 37, verse 1. We were already told earlier that Yaakov moved to Hebron, Parashat Vaishlach. Now this is significant because we need to know how this, there's a relocation that's about to take place this, to Egypt soon. So it began in, we're beginning in Canaan. Um, there's also something going on here with the inheritance, as opposed to a, this, this verse has to be read as juxtaposed to the previous chapter, as opposed to Esav, who had to move to Edom, Yaakov, who seemingly is the inheritor of the land, is sitting in Canaan. But the settling in Canaan, as we all know, is going to be temporary. The Yeshev Yaakov Be'eret Megoi Aviv Be'eret Canaan. Ele toledot Yaakov, verse 2. Yosef ben Shvaisra Shana Hayaroet Echad Batson, Vunaret Bne Vilhavet Bne Zilpaneshe Aviv, Vayave Yosef di Batamara el Avihem. Since this verse is a very long verse, I'd like us to divide it up into a few segments. Ele toledot Yaakov, Yosef ben Shvaisra Shana. These are the descendants of Yaakov. Yosef is 17 years old. Clearly, the difficult word in this verse is the word Toledot, the descendants. And it's a difficult word for two reasons. Number one, we're told these are the descendants of Yaakov. Ele Toledot Yaakov, Yosef. We don't have a, we expect a whole long list and all we have is one child mentioned, Yosef. But it's difficult for another reason. We were already given the list of Yaakov's descendants in Parashat Vaishlach. If you recall in chapter 35, verse 23, 
ויהיו בני יעקב שנים עשר, בני בלהה, בכל יעקב, ראובן ושמעון, etc. יעקב has 12 children and it goes into a detailed list. So why is it repeated here? These are the descendants of יעקב. So we're going to give different explanations for what is the meaning of the word toledot, and perhaps that will help us understand what's going on here in this verse. Rashi explains toledot as we always we understood it up till now. Descendants and, ya- and Rashi tells us that from Yaakov's ya- perspective, he has only one descendant. He has only one child. He only wanted to marry one wife, Rachel, and his beloved child is Yosef. To which you might ask, legitimately, well, what about Binyamin? Uh, Chizkuni has a very, very deep understanding of the relationship between Yaakov and Binyamin. It's very fascinating. And he says the relationship with Binyamin is somewhat uh, raw and a complicated relationship as it reminds him of the death of Rachel. Later on, he will develop a, a close relationship with Binyamin once he had no longer has Yosef. But right now, it's still raw pain with Yaakov. So as from Yaakov's perspective, there's only one son, and that's Yosef. Ibn Ezra suggests that the word toledot does not only mean descendants, but it means events. What is the history going to bring birth to? What will the day bring? So Elitoda, this is the history of Yaakov. Now, if someone wants to tell about the story of the history of Yaakov, a very good point to start with, naturally, is the story of Yosef and how eventually the entire family ends up in Egypt. A third possibility is that the word Toledot appears at every junction in Sefer Bereshit when the family is significantly relocating to a new geographical location. This idea is suggested by my husband, Rabbi Yehuda Rak, and, he, and it really follows through nicely through all the places where the word Toledot appears in Sefer Bereshit. Whenever the family is relocating to a new, significantly new relocation, we will find the word Toledot. Now here the family is about to relocate to Mitzrayim. Very, it's beginning to relocate to Mitzrayim very, very soon. And therefore, we'll find here the word Toledot, Ele Toledot Yaakov, Yosef ben Shvayas Lashana. It is very important for the reader to know the age of Yosef because we, the, the years here are very significant. How many years is Yosef away? What is taking place when? So we're told of his age here. Hayahu et echad vatzon, he's a shepherd out with his brothers. And now comes a difficult part in this verse. Vehunav et bnei bilhad et bnei zilpan aviv. He is a na'ar, a youth with or of the sons of Bilha and of Zilpah, the wives of Yaakov, and he brings a bad words against his brother to his father. So what does it mean, v'hu na'av et bnei Bilha ve'et bnei Zilpah aviv? And why do we need to know that he, na'av, in youth, we already know of his age, what's the significance of v'hu na'av? So Rashi explains v'hu na'av, he's immature. Yosef behaves in an immature manner. He's a narcissist, obsessed with himself, completely self-centered. That's um, Rashi's take of the Huna. That's important uh, information for us to understand Yosef's character as it's portrayed in this chapter. Another possibility of the Huna'ar ant, suggested by Ramban, is that he hangs out with Bnei Bilhan Bnei Zilpah. He's one of the younger ones, and Yaakov appoints 
the, the sons and the maid servants to look out for him, to take care of his needs, to be with him. So that's Vehunar et Bnei Bilha et And when he's with them, he sees anything that he sees that they're not doing properly are the bad words that he brings to his father. Ibn Ezra brings a very interesting perush, and he says the word na'ar here should not be read as an adjective, but rather as a verb. Na'ar in Tanakh means servant, but it can be read as na'ar et, to serve someone. He serves the sons of Bilha and Zilpah. He's the youngest one, and and Bilha and Zilpah's sons take advantage of the fact that he is the youngest one, and perhaps he doesn't have any close siblings to protect him, and they make him into their servant. I just want to read one line from the Ibn Ezra. Since he is the, the youngest one, they made him into a servant. So that's, a, and, that, I, and I think that would be a good enough of a reason for him to bring el to say bad words against his brothers. What is he telling his father? They're taking advantage of me. Let's, now let's go to the last uh, difficult word in this verse. And Yosef brought their diba, bad diba, bad words against them to their father. What does the word diba mean? According to um, Rashi, diba just means the word words. Comes from the root davov. Maybe the English word you're familiar with, dubbed, comes from the same root. It's a speech. So once, so it's something neutral. So if you have something, now it has to tell us what type of words. Diba ra'a, bad words. According to Ramban, diba is, is, means negative words. In truth, that's what it means in modern Hebrew. Diba is negative words. And therefore, what would diba ra'a mean? Diba ra'a would mean, diba ra'a would mean very negative words. Extremely negative words. Both Ramban and Radzak have an interesting observation. The word diba appears in this story, but it, and it also appears in the story of the spies. It says about the spies, But what's interesting is the verb that's attached to the word diba. Here it says that Yosef brings the diba. Whereas with the spies, it says, They take out the diba. So is diba something that you bring out? That we use the word lotzi is diba saying that you bring lehavi, and Radak says that the hotzi is when you invent, when you have to take it out. Whether as the mevi diba, he just delivers that which he has seen. He reports that with which he has seen. So to the credit of Yosef, at least he doesn't lie when whenever whatever it is that he's telling his father. At least it's not made up as opposed to the Meraglim, who had made up the Diba. Okay, so that's about his relationship between, that's about the relationship between Yosef and the maidservant sons. Let's now continue verse 3. V'Yisrael ahavit Yosef mikol banav, kiven zekunim hulo, ve'asalo ketonet pasim. Yaakov, Yisrael loves Yosef more than all of his sons, as he is a ben zikunim, at this point we'll just ex- explain as a child of old age, and he makes him a ketonic pasim, a special garment. Let us first note here the change of name in verse 3. It changes from Yaakov to Yisrael. Our story opened up using the name Yaakov, and now we're switching to Yisrael. What's the significance of this name change? The 19th century commentator, Rav David Tzvi Hoffman, 
when we have his commentary on Bereshit up to chapter 37, including chapter 37, explains that when the, when the Chumash uses the name Yaakov, it is when we are describing events that have ramifications to Yaakov as an individual. However, when the Tanakh uses, switches to the name Yisrael, Yaakov's actions will have national ramifications. So when Yaakov slash Yisrael here makes a ketonet pasim, which is going to cause the jealousy of the brothers, that is an action that's going to have national ramifications. That action of causing jealousy in the family is what's going to eventually cause the, uh, the exile to Egypt. When Yaakov later on in the story is going to mourn for Yosef, that doesn't have national ramifications. It's going to go back to the name Yaakov. And we'll notice in our chapter when it switches, and that in, in this chapter we'll see that this theory is pretty cons- consistently fits in nicely. So he loves Yosef more than all of his sons because Yosef is a ben zikunim. Now in modern Hebrew, ben zikunim generally means a child of old age. Several of the commentators point out here that this that Yaakov is old when all of his children are born. He's way into his eighties and his nineties when all twelve of them are born. So it's difficult to, to this uh, interpretation to say it's a child of old age. So another possibility that it is the last child. Of course, here we'll have the question: Binyamin is last last child. So this is where that where the Chizkuni mentions that observation that there's that pain. Painful relationship between Yaakov and Binyamin. Ramban's explanation, I think, fits in nicest in the story, and that is a Ben's Kunin reflects a custom of the time of an elderly father to choose one of the sons to take care of him in his old age, spend the day with him. This will explain why later on, when the brothers go to Shechem to shepherd. Yosef is not with them. And this will also explain later when the brothers go down to Egypt, Binyamin does not go with them. And the brothers say he is the Yelitz Kunim. Once Yosef is gone, Binyamin takes that role of the Yelitz Kunim, the one who's responsible to take care of the father and to be with the father and to spend time with the father. And this son that spends so much time with the father is a beloved, becomes a beloved son. And as a reflection of his love, he makes him this ketonet pasim, making making this garment. Now, we're not going to explain this garment as a multicolored dream coat, because it doesn't say that it has multicolored, multicolors. It just says it's a ketonet pasim. One of the interpretations that the Midrash suggested is that it has many colors. Several colors, but Ibn Ezra says ketonet pasim can mean an embroidery. Shadal suggests ketonet pasim is a long garment that reaches till the ankles, until the end of the of the arm, till the wrist. That's a ketonet pasim. What's interesting here that when we read these words, it very much reminds us of Hannah in the book of Shmuel who makes her son Shmuel a coat. This is a very motherly act to, to, to make yourself. We almost have to imagine ourselves Yaakov sitting there and weaving this garment for his beloved son, Yosef. It doesn't say that he bought him a ketonet. It is asalo ketonet pasim. So the ketonet pasim is an expression of love. But the Ketona Pasim is also an expression of status. We know Tamar, the daughter of David HaMelech, has a Me'il Pasim. And that, that was the dress of 
the princesses, a me'il pasim. Um, Shadal says the me'il pasim, remember Shadal that said the me'il pasim was a me'il that reached the ankles and reached the wrist. He said people that wore long clothing, was that was a sign of freedom of work. People with short clothing are the ones that worked out in the field. A long cloak was a sign of status, of leadership, royalty, and freedom. So this, this pasuk expresses both love and status that Yosef is receiving. Verse 4. The brothers see that Yosef, that he is loved by the father more than all the brothers, and they hated him, and they could not bear speaking in peace. The brothers see that Yosef, that he is loved more than all of his brothers. It doesn't say that he is loved more than all of his sons. The brothers feel that from Yaakov's perspective, their only self-worth is that they are Yosef's brothers. Also, it says they see. I think what they see here, every day that they see that coat causes a great deal of aggravation. And they hate him. They hate the. They hate him. They hate the. They hate the coat. They hate everything that's represented in this coat. And the pasuk ends. They cannot bear to speak to him in peace. This pasuk too grammatically is a bit difficult. It's possible that the pasuk means they could not tolerate Yosef talking to them. Lo yachlu seet shalom, as though it says. So they couldn't stand when he speaks to them. Or Rashi's interpretation is that they couldn't stand talking with him. Lo So these past few psukim, just to summarize at this point, really gives us the background to the hatred towards Yosef. The sons of the maidservants hate Yosef because of the slander. The sons of Leah hate Yosef because of his status. The status is not something that the sons of Bilhan Zilpah would have been jealous of. Because they would have accepted Yosef receiving a higher status than themselves. They're jealous, as we said, because of the slander. And the sons of Leah are jealous because of the status that Yosef is receiving from Yaakov. And bottom line is all the brothers hate Yosef. And the events that are about to follow seem to only make things worse. Verse 5. And Yosef had a dream, and he told his brothers, and they hated him even more. But Yosef doesn't, it doesn't say what he told his brothers. All it says in this verse, and Yosef had a dream, and he told his brothers, and they hated him even more. I want to continue reading the next verse before we, we explain this. And he said to him, to, to them, listen to this dream which I had dreamt. And we are out in the field, etc. We'll explain that. So what is the relationship between verse 5 and verse 6? Joseph had a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him. And then the following verse, and he said to his brothers, listen to this dream that I had dreamt. So what did he tell them previously in verse 5? So there's a, a few ways of explaining the relationship between these two verses. One possibility is that verse 5 is, is what we call, the relationship between verse 5 and 6 is the relationship between Klal and Prat. We have the title, general, and then it goes and go into detail. Yosef had a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him. Now we're going to go into the detail of what exactly he had told his brothers and what caused that and and what caused the hatred. That's one way of reading it. Another idea suggested by Chizkuni is that 
Yosef did have an, a, a dream, but we don't have the details of this dream. The reason we don't have the details of this dream is because that was a dream that never came to fruition, so it's not uh, uh, relevant to us. The only part that's relevant is that they hate him. But the details of the dream are not significant to the reader to know what they are because it's a dream that never came to fruition. And finally, a third possibility to understand the relationship between verse 5 and 6 is that in relationship, what Yosef is telling his brothers in verse 5 is, I had a dream. He only tells his brother one thing. I had a dream. That's enough to trigger the hatred of the brothers. Because the previous pasuk, verse 4, ended. They can't stand hearing him talk. And the last thing they want to hear from him is his dreams. Dreams, you tell your best friend. You tell people you like. They don't want him sharing his dreams with them. Just the fact that he said, I had a dream, already triggers their, the hatred. Verse 6. We are out in the field, and we are gathering our sheaves of grain in the field, and my sheaf got up and remained standing up, and your sheaf surround, had surrounded my sheaf and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, you don't have to be Freud in order to understand the meaning of this dream, and the brothers don't offer an interpretation, but they already, they reach, the, it's a clear conclusion which they express in a rhetorical question, the, the, very, the very rhetorical question by nature, is an interpretation. And it's important to understand, the ancient times, an interpretation of a dream was very crucial to the dream. They, they believe that the interpretation can impact the dream and affect the dream. We'll see that later when we get to the story of Sarah Mashkim and Sarah Ophim and to the dreams of Paro. And so even though they don't really interpret it, yet their rhetorical um, response to it is an interpretation. And what do they answer? And his brother said to him, in verse 8, The brothers said to him, Do you think you will be our king? Do you think you will govern you will govern us? And they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Maloch timlochi mashol timshol. What is the difference between melucha and memshala? So Ramban says melucha is by acceptance. Memshala is by force. The brother's response to the Yosef, the dreamer. Even if you were to rule us by force, we are never going to willingly accept you as our leader. Hamaloch timloch imashol timshol gam imashol timshol. Even if you were to force us, we're never going to accept you. And as we said, the verse ends with, and they hated even more for his dreams and for his words. So it's just interesting to point out dreams appear here in plural. He only had one dream. This strengthens that Chizkuni commentary that in verse 5, when it said that he had a dream, that there was another dream that's just not written down. What I want to focus on now, right now, is they hated him for his dreams and for his words. Aren't the dreams the words? So let's begin with the different uh, commentators on this. Rashi says the words are not the words here of the dream. Rather, the words are the words of the Diba when he spoke badly about his brothers. But we would expect if they hate him for the words that when he spoke badly, it should have written, been written before, right immediately after his words. Uh, 
one of the uh, explanations for this is that sometimes when someone does something uh, offensive, a person's willing to uh, to ignore it. But when the offense repeats in different forms over and over again, then he goes back to the to the original offense, and he's no longer willing to for, to, to forgive the brothers. With the uh, when when he said spoke badly about him, they were willing to forgive. But when the, this comes up, and there's one thing after the next, then they already remember. You remember that that time and that time and that time, and that's basically Sufarno suggested al chalomotav al dvarav is for the way he said the dream. He said he said it in a very an antagonistic way. Shimuna chalom, pay attention. So those are the words. Avraham ben Harambam <coughs> suggests here that dvarav is his dealing with a person. They say a person dreams at night that which he dreams of during the day. We're all dreaming here about. Uh, sheep grazing. We're not dreaming about ruling. What are you dreaming about? You're dreaming about that which you've been obsessed with. Al Dvarab is the, the matters. You've been a- obsessing with greatness, and that's why you dream about this at night. So, and here we see already a Mila Mancha in the story, and that's the word Sina. It appeared by Sneuto in verse 4. They hate him, and they hate him again. This is a story of Sina. And of course, at this point, we also have to mention the other glaring Milamancha in the story is the word ach, 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 brother, 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 which repeats itself eight times within these eight verses, well, 11 verses of, the, of our unit today. Um, this is a story of brothers who behave in the most unbrotherly fashion. I would say the word brothers is almost used here in irony. And now we come to the second dream in verse 9. Vayachalom od chalom acher. So he had a, a sec, another dream, and he tells his dream to his brothers, and he says, I, yet here, behold, I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars are bowing down to, to me. I'm continuing to verse 10. He tells his father and his brother of this dream, and his father rebukes him and says, What is this dream which you have dreamt? Do you think myself, your mother, and your brothers will come to bow down to you? And his brothers were jealous of him, and his father guarded the words, the matter. Let us compare the brother's response to this dream to the brother's response to the first dream. In the first dream, they, even though they don't interpret, they do interpret a rhetorical answer. Here, the brothers don't even offer that. The brothers don't say, do you, th- do you think you will rule over us? They don't respond at all. Um, the brothers don't respond here, I believe, because the brothers believe this dream to be true, and this frightens them. It is one thing for Yosef to dream of the brothers bowing down. But no no man in his right mind would dream of his father bowing down. And if they, Yosef dreamt of his father bowing down to him, they don't think these are any more just dreams of, uh, of greatness. They, do, they, they really do believe that this must be something divine. And therefore, they do not want to respond to this dream. As we said earlier... It was believed that you need to have an interpretation, a dream that wasn't interpreted as like a letter that's not read. 
And therefore, Yosef goes to his father. But Yosef makes sure that the brothers hear it in in the presence of the father. That's why it says in verse 10, And his father rebukes him. That's going to be very clear that the rebuke is just outwardly. And he says, How dare you dream such a dream? Do you think we will come down to and bow down to you? But deep down, the father believes it. Or maybe not, maybe not even so deep down. The Aviv Shamar et Hadaval. He he awaits for the day of the fulfillment of this uh, dream, as Rashi writes. So, and to conclude today's dream, today's unit gave us an opening understanding of the great hatred that's being festered in Yaakov's family, and the Torah tells us that all are at fault. Yosef for his immaturity, self-centered behavior; the brothers for the lack of tolerance; Yaakov for creating jealousy amongst his sons. And next week we'll continue. Where does that great hatred leave us to? Shalom.